Hi, everyone. Uh, let me first apologize for the irregular updating schedule. I won't get into the details, but for the past few months, things have been rather rough and unpredictable in both my personal and work life. It turned out getting COVID and having a quarantine was actually one of the high points of my summer. But I can assure you I have no intention of letting this podcast die. Also, I will have tangent episodes up soon covering the first season of the Netflix Medici show uh, because I've decided that it's pointless when my complaints are pretty consistent. I'll also be working on a short biography of Michelangelo for patrons. Also, I do plan on covering the new Catherine de' Medici show at some point, about which I'm cautiously optimistic. And in case you're wondering, Catherine de' Medici is one of my favorite historical figures and one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast. So, yes, we will have at least a mini-season dedicated to her life. For now, though, thank you for bearing with me. Be sure to check out MedicePodcast.com for maps, bibliographies, and ways to support the show. And if you can't give a donation or get a Patreon subscription but you'd like the show, spread the word to the history lovers in your life. And with that, this is the Medici Podcast Episode 36, The Tigress and the Papalano. Before we finally return to Pietro de' Medici, we need to check in on his cousins, the sons of Pier Francesco, Lorenzo and Giovanni. They're not to be confused with Lorenzo the Magnificent or any of the other Giovannis in the Medici family. Which is one of the reasons I'm mostly only talking about them in their own episode. Plus, honestly, not much happened with the two after they plotted against Pietro were exiled, and then tried to ingratiate themselves with King Charles of France. Lorenzo and Giovanni were involved with various administrative and diplomatic posts with the new government. Lorenzo, in particular, was involved with the plans to reform Florence's constitution and administration. Overall, though, they kept a low profile, siding openly with neither the pro-Savonarola or anti-Savonarola factions that dominated Florentine politics. While a couple of the pro-Medici leaders schemed to create a new government that would have them and not Piero at the head, there's no evidence they ever gave such plans their blessing. Perhaps they knew such schemes were not worth risking their necks over, or perhaps they genuinely were committed to the idea of a republic where no family, even their own, had a monopoly on power. Certainly by embezzling money from their inheritances, their cousin Lorenzo the Magnificent gave them every reason to reject 
what his branch of the family had built. Despite this animosity, Lorenzo di Piero Francesco still had a role to play in his cousin's grand dynastic plans for the Medici. In 1482, Lorenzo de Magnificent had him married to Semira Mide Appiano, the daughter of a nobleman who ruled the small principality of Piobino, which strategically sat on the border between Pisa and the territory of the independent Republic of Lucca. The wedding was another example of Lorenzo the Magnificent trying to expand the Medici's marriage alliances outside the fishbowl of the Florentine elite, especially since Samira Mide was also related to the royal family of Naples. The couple had two daughters, Ginevra and Laudamia, and one son who lived to adulthood who was, of course, confusingly for us, named after his grandfather, Pier Francesco. But we don't really need to spend much time with Pier Francesco. The son of this Pier Francesco, however, will play a rather dramatic role in our story, but that's for another time. One of Botticelli's most famous works, The Rites of Spring, was commissioned for the wedding. Art historians aren't exactly sure if it was commissioned by Lorenzo de Magnificent or Lorenzo di Pia Francesco himself. In either case, as I mentioned in an earlier episode, Lorenzo di Pia Francesco was an avid patron of the arts and collector of rare books, whose patronage and scholarly efforts were unfairly overshadowed by his famous cousin. He supported artists like Botticelli and Michelangelo and the writer Alessandro Bocchesi and protected them from the anti-intellectual and religiously extreme atmosphere of the Republic under Savonarola. Even though Lorenzo didn't align himself openly with Savonarola's opponents, it might be significant that at the height of Savonarola's influence, he stayed out of the city and traveled abroad or stayed at one of his estates in the country. Unfortunately, he could not avoid the economic recession that hit Florence. I mentioned before that northern Italy's economy was hit hard by the fall of Constantinople, which left the Ottoman Empire with a powerful monopoly of all trade between Italy and Asia. It was the Ottoman stranglehold that drove Europeans to look for alternate trade routes through totally unknown waters, either down the coast of West Africa and around the continent from the far south, or to the west, across the Atlantic Ocean. The accidental discovery of the Caribbean and then the mainland Americas, and the depressingly speedy exploitation of these lands and their peoples, would prove to be a turning point for northern Italy, and that for the better. It is true that by most metrics, northern Italy would remain the richest region of Europe, throughout the 16th century. However, thanks to colonialism and the tightly regulated trade networks that would be woven between the colonies and their mother countries, the center of European trade would slowly shift from the Mediterranean to the Atlantic. The raw materials coming in from the Americas also fueled a booming cloth industry in Spain, which competed with Florence's own once prosperous industry. At the same time, knowledge of silk production, which had once been all but exclusive to Florence, 
had spread throughout Western and Central Europe. Finally, the glut of silver and gold leached from the Americas would cause across Europe massive inflation, which in turn fed income inequality and hikes in property rents. Keep in mind this was a process that unfolded over the course of not just years, but generations, and arguably didn't really accelerate until the last few decades of the 15th century. But the process was beginning nonetheless. And it isn't out of the realm of possibility that Lorenzo and Giovanni's business ventures suffered, in part, because of these massive changes. Whatever the case may be, the huge fortune Pier Francesco left the brothers was evaporating slowly. As for Lorenzo's younger brother, Giovanni di Pier Francesco, he too stayed out of the limelight. Nor was he as much of a patron of the arts and scholarship as his brother, although like any good, pure-blooded Medici male, he was known for his admiration of these things. Nor did Giovanni marry, either to a wife who was arranged for him or on his own volition. But then, at the age of 30, Giovanni found that rarest of things among the European upper class at the time, a marriage based on love. The object of his passion was none other than Caterina Sforza. Caterina is usually and rightfully touted as one of the boldest women of the Renaissance, but her life was also one of tragedy before she met Giovanni. Her life started promisingly enough as the daughter of Duke Galeazzo Maria of Milan and Lucrezia Landriani, a woman who we know practically nothing about apart from her name and the fact that after Caterina's birth, Lucrezia was married off to one of the Duke's courtiers for the sake of propriety. Whatever her mother's status in society, that did not stop Caterina from being raised and educated alongside her legitimate half-siblings. She read Greek philosophy and Plutarch and Boccaccio. Thanks to the unorthodox Forza approach to educating their daughters, she even got to learn to ride a horse and handle weapons. Still, there is no question that she would be spared the fate of so many royal and aristocratic girls. In 1473, when she was only 10 years old, she was betrothed to Pope Sixtus IV's nephew, Girolamo Riario. You might remember him as the man who was one of the ringleaders behind the assassination of Lorenzo the Magnificent's brother Giuliano. Catalina was offered up to him instead of her cousin, Costanza Fogliana, whose mother, Gabriella Gonzaga, refused to allow the betrothal to go through when she learned that Girolamo planned to immediately have sex with his intended bride, who was only 11 years old. Duke Galeazzo sadly had no such reservations. On Gabriella's refusal to let her daughter marry for that reason, Galeazzo only remarked in a letter, to tell the truth, Lady Gabriella seems strange and wild to us. We have been considerate of her because she is a woman, and this being the nature of women, we don't want to argue with them. Katerina had something of a reprieve because 
Girolamo was more interested in his political schemes than his new wife. But then, when she turned 13, she was sent to live with him in Rome, which was still younger than what was considered the appropriate age for a new bride to consummate her marriage at the time. Caterina would go on to have six children with Girolamo. In a reflection of his father's, or perhaps also his mother's, ambitions, the eldest son was named Ottaviano, an invocation of Octavius Caesar, the birth name of the Emperor Augustus. But we know from her many letters that she wasn't content just producing heirs for her husband's ambitions. Instead, she was active in forming her own patronage network and pulling diplomatic weight in her husband and Pope Sixtus's interests. She also set up her own court, attended by artists and scholars, when her husband became lord of the Romagna cities of Forli and Imola. When Girolamo was assassinated, a revolt broke out and she and her children barricaded themselves in Forli's fortress. Only when she had negotiated for the safety of herself, her family, and her supporters did she leave the fortress. At least one contemporary claims that, as she walked away, she gave members of the revolt the fig, the Italian equivalent of the middle finger, that you might still see in Italy today if you offend someone enough. With the military backing of the papacy in Milan, Caterina managed to ensure her son Ottaviano's position as the new lord of Forli and Imola, with herself as regent. Now that she had some degree of independence, she would never again enter an arranged marriage, or a political marriage. Instead, she did something rare, even for an independent upper-class woman of the time. She married a commoner, Giacomo Feo, who had been the steward of her husband's castle, but stayed loyal to the family even after he was murdered. Personally, Caterina and Giacomo seem genuinely devoted to each other. Politically, though, it was a disastrous match. Giacomo, or so the sources say, alienated everyone other than Caterina, even her children. He went so far as to slap the teenaged Ottaviano in the middle of an argument. So it's perhaps not a surprise that Giacomo was assassinated during a hunting trip. Enraged and heartbroken, which is always a dangerous combination, Caterina had the assassin, his known accomplices, and even the assassin's wife and children executed. We don't know for sure if Ottaviano himself was involved, even though he was known to have been a co-conspirator in an earlier plot to kill Giacomo. Either way, even in her grief, Caterina would not or could not implicate her children. But she would find love again with Giovanni di Pierfrancesco de' Medici. He was not as accomplished as his big brother, but he was well-built and handsome. Caterina had dealings with the Papalano brothers before, writing them a sizable loan. But she never met either of them until 1496. By then, Florence had attacked Pisa, which had remained stubbornly independent since King Charles VIII of France liberated the city from Florentine rule. 
Giovanni was making regular trips to Forli to hire Caterina's troops as mercenaries for Florence. Although he might have also been on a secret diplomatic mission to get Caterina to sign off on a formal alliance with Florence, which she eventually did. At some point, dry discussions over politics and mercenary pay gave way to love. She became pregnant, and the two married in a secret ceremony. Catalina tried to hide the truth from her uncle, the current Duke of Milan, Ludovico. After all, she suspected, along with everyone else in Italy, that her uncle had poisoned her half-brother, the previous Duke. But more to the point, it was one thing for Caterina to carouse with some commoner. It was quite another for her to take her own initiative and marry a Medici, who were still a powerful, well-connected family, even if they had been exiled from Florence. In the realm of Italian politics, it meant Caterina was committing herself to a side. And worse, there was a slight but not impossible chance she would become the mother of a possible Medici rival to the Milanese throne. Unfortunately, it proved impossible for Caterina to hide the marriage or the pregnancy from her uncle's envoys, especially once her new Florentine relationship brought her into a war. Venice and the Pope interceded on behalf of Pisa's independence as a way of checking Florence which had remained allied to France even after Savonarola's downfall. Caterina fully committed herself and her resources to the war effort, even leading a siege on Castel del Sant'Angelo on paper territory while pregnant. On April 6, 1498, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy she named Ludovico, likely in an attempt to appease her uncle. Tragically, even though she literally went to war for her man, this marriage wouldn't last. Giovanni was stricken with the family illness of gout. He went to the thermal baths at Bagno in the Romagna for relief. Then Caterina received an urgent letter asking her to come meet Giovanni at Bagno. There, he died in her arms on September 12, 1498. They'd only been married for a year. Giovanni was gone, and she was stuck with her commitments to Florence. Since Forley was on a strategic route between Florence and the north, her city was a natural target for the Venetians. She had to arrange the city's defense along with two generals sent to her by her uncle. After initial losses, Catanina's forces were able to force the Venetians away from Forley. After the main fighting was done, Machiavelli, went to see Caterina as an ambassador for Florence, sent on an assignment to hire her son, Ottaviano, as a condicieri. Caterina wryly told Machiavelli that the words of Florentines were always pleasing, but their actions less so. Although the Republic of Florence had a reputation for remembering its allies, she said that had not proven true in her case, even though she had sacrificed more for Florence than any of its other allies. By staunchly defending Florentine interests, she had invited the wrath of Venice to her lands, yet Florence had done little to help her. Her feelings toward her late husband's homeland likely cooled, not just because of the lack of soldiers, 
but because of the actions of her brother-in-law, Lorenzo. Although Giovanni had left most of his estate to Caterina and their son, Lorenzo took advantage of Caterina's absence from Florence and began doing to her what Lorenzo de Magnificent had done to him and his own inheritance. He began slicing off pieces of the fortune meant for her for his own use. Noticing discrepancies in the account books, Caterina wrote furiously to Lorenzo and at one point even visited Florence personally to confront him. This was only the start of a legal battle between the two in-laws that would last over five years. But at the time, that was the least of Caterina's concerns. Like Pope Sixtus before him, Pope Alexander wanted to bequeath his son Cesare with a kingdom carved out of the papal lands in Romagna. Caterina siding with his enemies was a perfect excuse to claim her territory for himself. Florence was cowed when Alexander threatened to add Pisa to Cesare's portfolio of titles and lands. Even worse, the French had switched sides and given Cesare an army. Tired of war, the cities of Forli and Imola both surrendered with barely a fight. Caterina holed herself up in a fortress that was subjected to bombardment by the French for six non-stop days. When Cesare took the fortress and learned that Catanina had sent her children, including Ottaviano, the actual lord of Amola, he was said to have flown into a rage and raped her. Still, as a modern biographer of Caterina, Elizabeth Lev put it, for all the pain, misery, and humiliation that Cesare's rape inflicted on her, he could not get the better of Catanina. For despite the threats on her life and her personal degradation, Caterina steadfastly refused to sign over rights to Imola and Forley. Even when she was sent as a prisoner to Rome, she still refused to relent. Unfortunately, to quote King Lear, how sharper than a serpent's tooth it is to have a faithless child. Ottaviano had been in contact with Pope Alexander and became convinced that he would rather sign away his inheritance and be rewarded with a lucrative career in the church. He even began to insist that he didn't want anything to do with his half-brother Ludovico. In one letter to his mother, he wrote, I am under no obligation to take care of little Ludovico, but I would like to be relieved of it, and I can't, unless you renounce your custody of him. I beg you, if you love me, to renounce him immediately, and once I am freed from this obligation, procure for me a cardinal's hat. One of Caterina's retainers fired back to Ottaviano. The devil must have taken your feelings and your memory. Between her own son caring nothing about his birthright and the poor conditions of the prison she found herself in, Caterina relented. After all, she could at least salvage the future of one of her children, Ludovico de' Medici, whom she would soon rename Giovanni after his father. After signing away her son Ottaviano's rights, Caterina was allowed to leave Rome and move to Florence in 1501. Caterina had become something of a celebrity among the French and the Florentines for her bravery and because of the brutal treatment she had received from the Borgias. 
However, one Florentine, Lorenzo di Pio Francesco, was not pleased to see her. Likely due to public opinion, Lorenzo gave her a townhouse in the city that once belonged to Cosimo de' Medici, while the government granted her Florentine citizenship. However, once the buzz around her died down, Lorenzo retook the townhome, forcing Caterina to relocate to a villa in the countryside. Worse, while she and Lorenzo still fought in the courts for Giovanni's fortune, Lorenzo also went to the magistrates, claiming custody of his now four-year-old nephew, just to be able to claim his slice of the inheritance as well. Rather perversely, he used the Florentine law concerning abandoned children to claim that Catalina's imprisonment in Rome had proven that she was an unfit mother. While the cases continued to drag out in the Florentine courts, Catalina's forza was so impoverished that she had to write to her other adult children, asking them to give her household forks. Even when Lorenzo died at the age of 39 on May 20th, 1503, Lorenzo's son, Pier Francesco, continued to claim both Giovanni's inheritance and custody of the child. It might be telling that despite Lorenzo's wealth and his political connections, the courts finally decided against Pier Francesco di Lorenzo in June of 1505. Caterina got back custody of her son and her husband's fortune, or rather what was left of it, after Lorenzo had spent years trying to use the money to prop up his failing business ventures. She lived out the rest of her days in the Tuscan countryside, visited by family and well-wishers, until finally she died of an illness that was likely tuberculosis on May 28, 1509. Unsurprisingly, in her will, she granted custody of her son, not to the child of her archenemy Lorenzo di Pier Francesco, but instead to Jacopo Salviati, a rich banker whose family was long associated with the Medici. If only she knew that it would be her son Giovanni, and not Pier Francesco di Lorenzo, or even his cousin Piero, who would ultimately hold the future of the Medici family in his hands. <laughs> 